Big 5D Podcast is brought to you by Matchcraft, a global MarTech platform powering local search, social, and display campaigns for partners on six continents. Matchcraft's newest offering is Powered By, an API solution giving third-party platforms access to the technology behind Matchcraft's flagship Advantage platform. To learn more, visit matchcraft.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Big 5D Podcast. This is your host, Charles Laughlin. I am a content director of Big 5 Digital. So before we get into today's podcast, I wanted to do a quick reminder about our upcoming event, the Big 5 Summit, which is coming up in Cape Town, May 11th through the 13th. We're billing it as Africa's leading small business technology event. To learn more, go to big5digital.org and look under the events tab for the Big 5 Summit. And if you do sign up, please use the promo code BIG525. That's BIG5 spelled out and the numerals 25 for a 25% discount. We hope to see you there. We have a great guest today, Vinny Lingham, who's probably best known to most of you as one of the sharks on South Africa's Shark Tank. He's been doing that since 2016. But the bigger picture with Vinny is that he's a serial entrepreneur and he's pursued some pretty big ideas over the years. He's, uh, his South African entrepreneurial roots go back to Yola, a website, freemium website platform that he launched and then sold in 2011. He then launched Gift, GYFT, which is a digital gift uh, card platform that he also exited in 2015. And then he moved on into the crypto space where he uh, helped start Civic Technologies. It's a blockchain digital ID business. We'll talk about that a bit in the podcast. And he actually is still involved with that as its chairman, but he's no longer CEO. And he has since moved on to something called Weight Room, which is a really cool idea. It's sort of like Zoom, but sort of not. It's it's basically the idea is rather than schedule 30 minute meetings, why not have a series of very short meetings in sequence where people can meet with a celebrity they admire, their boss, uh, an investor, someone they're auditioning for. There's all kinds of use cases, and Vinny will describe those as well. When we talk about entrepreneurship a bit, what it takes to be an entrepreneur and maybe what, why some people maybe shouldn't be entrepreneurs. And he also had some tough things to say about the the environment in South Africa for entrepreneurship and fostering uh, the startup culture. Pretty tough words, and you'll, you'll hear what Vinny has to say there. So let's get into it. Vinny, welcome to the podcast. Charles, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a great honor for us to uh, have one of the sharks on on the show. So uh, let's start at the end. You just launched a business called Weight Room. I'm a little bit familiar with it, um, but I'd love it if you could tell the audience what it is and why you started it now. Yeah, I'll start with why I started it. I, I basically found that video conferencing and scheduling of video conferencing is very inefficient, right? So um, trying to get, you know, meet with a whole bunch of people every single day. You have these like calls scattered out throughout your calendar. You don't have enough time to go do what you need to do. And, you know, and most of these calls don't last the full 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour. It, it winds up being, you know, 15 minutes, 23 minutes, 37 minutes. And what do you do all that extra time? You kind of like maybe work on some emails, but it really, it really makes time inefficient. So the idea was like, couldn't you just have a room where people just come in and chat to you when you're there and you don't have to actually like use scheduling and use uh, you know a calendar. And mm-hmm. if it's a five minute call and or ten minute call, it's over. And you know how do you do that? Well, you just have a queue based system where everyone gets the same amount of time, so people know okay, I'm third in the queue. In thirty minutes, my time will be up. And 
I'll come back or I can do something in that time. That was the genesis for the idea is, you know, and, and for me really as a shark on Shark Tank South Africa, it's more about if people want to pitch me, right? How do I make myself available? And I don't want to listen to pitches for an hour. Um, I'm happy to just do 10 minutes and to take the ones I like. So how do I get, you know, six people to line up and, and give me 10 pitches in an hour and I pick the best one and have a follow-up conversation there. And that's that's how it started. So we built Weight Trimmers, you know, with, with the concept that people who have got, you know, valuable, valuable time but want to engage with others, they need a better way to schedule these engagements and they need to time box it. And so, you know, as an example, you know, we've had famous people like Tan France and Amanda Clutes on our platform. And it's, you know, you get two and a half minutes with, uh, with one of your fans, with, you know, the fans get two and a half minutes with them. And it's great because they get to interact with their, you know, with their heroes and heroines. Um, and, you know, we can make it very efficient. So in an hour, you can go through, you know, 25, 30 fans pretty quickly. And there's no scheduling involved. It's just coming to the room and, you know, first come, first serve at this point. But um, that's what the platform is. It's a way of doing, you know, high volume, you know, one-on-one -on -one meetings and series. And people can watch. So that's the cool thing. Like you go to the room and you can see what people are saying and you don't, you can't interrupt anyone. I mean, I guess one of the inspirations was I went to an online Zoom wedding during COVID. And this is a COVID baby. This idea came up during COVID. Yeah, I went to an online wedding and the bride and groom wanted to chat to every single guest, you know, quickly. But like, it was like, okay, turn on your camera, turn off your camera, uh, mute everyone, mute the mics. Oh, yeah, that's, you know, like scrolling through 50 different like screens, like which person's next. And this is just a simple way of just to accuse system and you can do like birthday parties, whatever. So we're still building out a lot of functionality. We think it works well for groups, communities, uh, as well as obviously just famous people um, or people in demand, pitched, pitch, pitch days for VCs, investors. Um, it could be open auditions. It could be open uh, uh, interviews for a new position. So there's lots of use cases for Waitroom. We're still working on those, but we've got yeah. the technology working really well now. Yeah, because when I saw it, I mean, clearly you're sort of leading with the celebrity angle, which is smart to get attention early on. And obviously that's a, an obvious use case. But when I was watching, I was thinking, uh, you know, CEO office hours, you know, with the team, you know, what, how does this apply to sort of everyday work, you know, work a day business? Um, you know, how does it replace Zoom? We're using Zoom right now. <laughs> but how does it ultimately replace Zoom or Teams or Google Meetings or whatever? Or does it? Is it just a different platform? It's a different platform. I think Zoom is good for like many to many conversations where there's seven people in a room chatting to each other or 20 or five. It's right. just not very good for one-on-one -on -one conversations in serial. So when you want to have lots of one-on-one -on -one conversations in a row, Zoom doesn't work for that. It's just too funky. Uh, right. And we're not trying to compete with Zoom. And it's also the architecture is different. If you think about it, we're broadcasting these one-on-one -on -one conversations to everyone watching the room. In Zoom, everyone in the room is a participant. Right, right. And so you have viewers, you have participants. It's a little different. So it's a different, it's a different format. It's comparing, you know, uh, it's comparing a, a car to a plane. Yeah, it gets you there. Sure. But it's, it's a different experience. Okay, completely different experience. How big, a, how big an opportunity is this? Is this, is this a how to put this is this um a big play is this a big swing or is this a you know use baseball terminology which i shouldn't do on an african podcast but uh is this a single or a home run opportunity uh, the answer the real answer is i don't know i mean it's a cultural shift so we have to show the value culturally of shifting to you know serialized time box meetings um versus you know scheduled 
uh, you know, five-person meetings. And I don't think we capture full market share and say, well, everyone shifts to this model. I think it's got its use case. I think it's a subset of what obviously the market that's been captured so far by Zoom, mm-hmm. but Zoom's captured a very big market. So even if we captured a small percentage of that, I think we'd, be, we, we'd do fine. Um, do I have the vision for this thing being you know, a multi-billion-dollar know, platform? It's possible, I, like, but it needs a cultural shift. People need to adopt it. People need to think this is better. And we have to get this groundswell going. So right now, all we're trying to do is just build really cool tools and see how it gets used and adopted and how we can help um, you know, make things more productive for people. And uh, it's, it's important for us that we can be a platform for conversations and engagement. And we think that the one-to-one conversations, even, you know, even two or three people on the screen at the same time is fine. Um, and we think engagement uh, using serialized, um, you know, attendees, it, it's just, if you watch this, if you watch Wait Room or Session, you go look at the clips, it's really, really cool. I mean, you get, you get to watch a lot of people ask various questions. You don't get bored by one person. If someone has a bad guess, they don't last very long. The next person comes on. Right. And so it's kind of cool. Yeah. And if you're someone in your position who, you know, doesn't you don't want to listen to a 10, uh, one hour pitch. If they only have 10 minutes, they'll, they'll make better use of that 10 minutes. It, it, that's exactly it. So someone like me, I think the tool is fantastic. The platform is great because I can say to entrepreneurs, hey, if you're looking for funding, you want to come pitch me, I, I don't have an hour. I don't have 30 minutes for you. You know, maybe I'll give you five or 10 minutes in a room and just come and give me a quick pitch. If I like it, I'll reach out to you afterwards. If I don't like it, you know, it's five minutes of my time. I'm not going to sweat it. Okay. Well, in the interest of making good use of your time, maybe we can uh, pivot onto a, a few other topics. I'd like to get some of your thoughts on some of your observations on what's going on with with Africa Tech. I mean, it's a broad broad field, granted, but obviously a lot of money has been pouring in the last few years. Give assess the pros and cons a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of the Africa Tech scene. You know, what's what's encouraging to you? What you think is uh, challenging in your view? Just from, you know, then there's a number of aspects there, but maybe you can give some broad thoughts on that. I mean, Africa is a big place. I, I hate going oh, in. No, I know. I, I, I know. Challenges of South Africa versus, yeah. versus Kenya. Is the same. Country, I know, yeah. <laughs> Within that, you know, allowing that. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'll start with South Africa because that's where I'm from yeah. and a market I, I know, I think, reasonably well. Um, I think the biggest challenge in Africa, South Africa is infrastructure. I mean, you know, if you look at the the you know the the, the energy grid and the, you know, yeah. we, we we operate there. I've got a venture capital fund there, and like the load shedding is just ridiculous. I mean, I left South Africa because of load shedding, fourteen years ago. Hmm. <laughs> we did nothing about that in fourteen it's years. Still happening, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still happening, and it's getting worse. It's like level four load shedding now on a regular basis. The government is just totally incompetent. I mean, nobody can make a decision. No one can get stuff done. It's just overly politicized. Um, and, they, and, and like when you start politicizing infrastructure that people need to just live their lives and survive, and how many people a year die in South Africa because of load shedding? Because, you know, medical equipment goes off because whatever. Like, um, it's, it's sad. It's sad. And this is basic, basic infrastructure. This is not like, hey, we don't have you know, gigabit fiber, you know, connection. Like this is basic, this is like water, lights, you know, and even the water system, the water's gone down since I lived there. And this is the problem with South Africa. It's, it it was a, look, the the fundamental issue of South Africa is that that the, the previous apartheid government catered to a very small population 
And when they tried to open it up and scale it to the broader population, so after apartheid fell, they found that it wasn't that simple to scale those services to 50 million people, you know, at the same level of quality. Right. Now we understand these are the issues. Okay. We understand that it's not that simple. We understand that, um, you know, this is, this is something which, you know, if people who lived under the previous regime, it, they enjoyed the fact that it was exclusive, right? So it, it's, it's not fair to say it should scale evenly, but we've had 30 years to go build nuclear power stations, mm -hmm. okay? We've had 30 years to go put power on everyone's, in everyone's plugs, 30 years, but no, the special interests are worried about, you know, selling coal to the government to make money. So they keep nuclear power off South Africa's shores. We have plenty of open space Mm -hmm. Where if you're worried about a nuclear disaster, you can go build a nuclear power plant. But then it's like, okay, who are the contractors? Who gets paid the, the handouts? Who gets, like, the corruption levels are ridiculous, right? So South Africa's got a serious problem between corruption and, and um, I mean, I guess, it's, I would just say it's incompetence and corruption combined at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no reason why we, we shouldn't be running nuclear power in the country. We have lots of empty space. You could put it out in the middle of nowhere and you can run the nuclear power stations there and in theory, it has, but the, the problem is the dependency on coal and the electrical grid on Eskom. I mean, Eskom is just the most worst-run power state in the world, probably. I, you, I, I don't understand how we're still running 14 years in, and since the load shedding started when I left, it's actually 15 years now. 20, 2007 started, and they just couldn't plan and prepare. And nuclear is the solution, but South Africa just there's just too many special interests that are making money on coal that they don't want it to go to nuclear. You think absent these fixes, which are sounds like they're big fixes, <laughs> they're not overnight issues. You're you're not. Oh, well, it's five to eight years to build. Yeah, yeah, of course, issues, yeah. You know? so, so it's but but we've had fifteen. We could have built them twice over. Right. It's the it's the politics. It's the procurement processes. It's the corruption. It's the it's the it's 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 politicizing things which should shouldn't be political to be like what's in the best interest of the country. Yeah, yeah. Even even privatizing it. If you if you said tomorrow, look. We government can't build nuclear. We're gonna zone some areas and private sector can build nuclear with you know basic permits and go build it yourself and supply it to the grid. That would be fine. Mm -hmm. You don't have to take the government's money, you don't have to take private, you can just say, hey, anyone, open market, whoever can build the nuclear power stations faster, get them up and running. Here's an area of the country where we, you can go build them. You'll have private money from around the world coming in to supply South Africa with power. Mm -hmm. But we don't have that because there's just no world to get it done. Well, looking around the rest of the country, do you see opportunity? I mean, do you see anything that excites you that you think is a great opportunity that you would put your money in or even not as an investor, but even things that you look at and say, here's some promise in Africa. What would you point to? Um, I, I would say that right now I'm focusing on, obviously, like I just back people. So I back tech. Right. tech so it, anyone's in technology in Africa that's building something interesting, I like to get behind. And People think that like, well, building an app is technology. No, 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 it's not about that. It's about building the future of technology. So I, I'm a frontier technologist. So I look at things like Web3 and right. Metaverse and all that stuff. And there are a few people in South Africa building this sort of stuff. And I try and find them and invest in them. I don't go and invest in things which are just, you know, too far down the scale. Uh, I, I like to be ahead of the next big thing, like, you know, Bitcoin and crypto. I've been in that for years. And I've been, I've been preaching about it in South Africa for nearly a decade as well and trying to get people onto that train. But um, where do you think that is now? I mean, because some people would say, look at, you know, emerging markets as a better opportunity in some ways for 
moving to blockchain and, and crypto it is, currencies. Yeah. It is, but then you've got the government sort of, you know, not figuring out what to do with regulations. And so mm -hmm. that slows it down. Um, yeah. South Africa is not going to become a crypto powerhouse anytime soon, um, just until the government gives some sort of guidance. And if the guidance is too sharp, then people will move elsewhere. Um, so it just depends. It's, it's hard to say. I mean, right, right now, when I go on Shark Tank, I, I look at the entrepreneurs and Shark Tank for me is not really, you know, my definition of investing. It's my, it's more like giving back and trying to help um, entrepreneurship in South Africa. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, not the type of returns I'm looking for, but I'm happy to try and make some investments there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know when I, I watch it here and it's, it's a lot of B2C uh, consumer products and things like things of that nature, which I don't know if it's the same in, in South Africa, but um, probably not a lot of technology cutting it not a lot of cutting edge technology startups are going to show up at shark yeah. tank is that fair yeah 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 we've had we've had a couple but it's yeah. not yeah i don't mind if they show up that's great but most of them don't want to be pitching on on, on screen yeah that's um, yeah, yeah. that going... might be too interesting <laughs> yeah. exactly okay so so let's uh, you let's talk about civic a little bit because uh i've i've got a friend who's working on something that's kind of a based around identity um on the blockchain you know it's kind of a web3 oriented startup and um and so it, it, it has some intersection with what civic was what for those who don't understand know civic who are listening to this could you kind of give us the quick underlying idea behind it and then you know sort of the idea of a decentralized id if that's the right phrasing to use could you sure, give I mean, a minute on that what it is and i'd like to kind of talk a little bit about how how that opportunity ultimately comes to fruition yeah i think um it's you know it, it's a different idea ahead of its time we started the company in 2015 right. uh, and we were the first right. blockchain based identity company out there um you know where we are right now i guess is um trying to figure out how to use decentralized identity in things like NFTs. And it's really hard to use, you know, fundamentally new technology to disrupt the existing marketplace because there are a lot of just entrenched interests and products that get used and it's hard to get them to switch. And, you know, yeah. banks want to use what other banks are using because, they don't, you know, they don't really care about whether it's good or bad. They just don't want to get into trouble. I mean, bank is like a bank is number one job is to make sure it doesn't get fired because it's a cushy job. Why would you want to get fired? So don't make any like, bold moves I mean, right. like the definition no better are, job waiting for them yeah exactly by definition there's i i've never seen a risk taker who lost it in a bank mm -hmm. <laughs> so right. if you're in a bank and you're listening to this we all know that you just don't take risks you don't want to take a chance and you're happy to work at, at standard bank or fmb or one of those places and yeah you'll learn something but you're not going to change the world working in a bank so if you do leave and start a company and i've seen some bankers actually do that successfully and i've been very i'm very impressed with them but the majority of people working in banks they just, they just cogs in the wheel. Mm -hmm. And this is the problem in society is that too many people want the safe route. And entrepreneurial journey is the, like, that's the fun part, right? But it's very risky and it's not for everyone. So like, if you can't handle the stress, stay in the bank, it's warm and cozy. Um, but, but the, you know, the problem with like things like decentralized identity is the banking system as a perfect example will not adopt it anytime soon. I'd say, five to 10 years at a minimum because, you know, why take any risk of losing your job? Just do it the way it's always been done. But sort of back up, kind of, can you explain sort of what, what the decentralized identity is and what problem it's trying to solve? Just so well, we, yeah. And that, then 
might make it more clear why the banks are so eager not to, <laughs> to get, and others are eager not to adopt it, other than just the natural friction of switching, right? Or maybe that's sure. it. Yeah. So when you verify someone's identity, you check it against a source, right? And the source is going to be, um, you know, uh, whatever, Home Affairs or some ID verification company, etc. And they tell you who that person is and you believe them and you do your thing. Mm -hmm. In the decentralized identity world, I give you my credentials. You check that the signatures are valid. You don't tell the other guy that you're checking who I am. You just trust that the signatures they gave are valid and you can check it using cryptography. And then that's private. So instead of three people knowing I did a transaction, now only two know, me and the person receiving the information. That's way more secure, way more private, and it's the future of identity. It's just not the way the world works right now. And when you look at the privacy issues worldwide and how much data has been collected on all of us everywhere, you know, unfortunately, most humans just act like a bunch of drones. We go out there, we give companies information, then we complain afterwards oh, if Facebook's tracking us. Automatically hit those. Yeah. It's like, oh, fa- Facebook and Google's listening to everything I'm saying. Well, what, do you have a, a Facebook portal in your house? Yep. Do you have a, a Google, you know, whatever, home assistant? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, what are you complaining about? You put it there. <laughs> right, right. No. Well, a friend of mine uh, who builds um, on Amazon, I forget what they call them, uh, skills. And uh, and then he was like, well, people complain about that. My answer to that is, well, you're not that interesting. And I think that's a kind of a flippant <laughs> response to that, because whether you're interesting or not is not the point. It's, you know, whether, you know, whether your data is, is secure and, you know, and so, so. Okay, so how would you describe how much progress Civic made towards its uh, its objective? I think we, we made all the progress we wanted to make on the technology side. We started Identity.com, which is a nonprofit uh, you know, foundation. And we've got the main company focusing on finding use cases for decentralized identity. We've done some really cool stuff, but you know, not, not everything has found its mark. And I think it's still early and we're still going and we're still trying. We've got some new products coming out in June. Um, we're going to keep trying. And I think uh, we just, you know, it's always like, it's always obvious after we've had a hit, but, and, but before we have a hit, you're like, well, you know, the, the tech works and we've, we've helped lots of companies do use decentralized identity, but we haven't found that runaway, um, you know, mainstream use case yet. And we're working on it. Yeah. What do you, maybe it's an unfair question, but I'll ask one anyway. What do you think the, that, I guess you don't know until you know, but I'm, what, what does your gut tell you is the ultimate, that, that use case will be that will grab, that will take take root and, and actually start to build into something? You know, if you asked me two years ago, I would have said COVID. But mm-hmm. then, you know, if you look at the way the government's handled the COVID situation, that's not it. Um, you know, and uh, I think it's going to be probably decentralized finance or okay. NFTs or something along those lines. So something in crypto. I think crypto will be the catalyst. Yeah, because there's often, this is conversation often about, you know, the difference between crypto and blockchain. And, you know, will, which will be ultimately be more important. Maybe they're not in Maybe it's, you can't answer that, but, uh, you know, it, it will crypto as a means of exchange take root first, or will blockchain as a, as an infrastructure for building solutions really be what ultimately is important. And I don't know if you have a, a point of view on that. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, the, it's more about like what they call Web 3.0, the decentralized uh, web infrastructure. And that's what we're here for. Like we're, I'm, I'm here for the decentralized web. <laughs> we no company has a call shut anything down uh, if they don't like it. I mean, the, the amount of censorship that happens online is kind of crazy. 
So, so who who wins in the decentralized web, and who loses? If it's give us a sense yeah. of of how the world changes. The the long term losers are shareholders uh, of companies because what's happening is value is being accrued to um, in the decentralized web. The, the holders of the and, you know the, the sort of the primitives of the technology, the infrastructure, the tokens, the, the coins, um, yeah. and these aren't shareholders; they they token holders, they coin holders. And so there aren't shareholders for companies really that, that benefit. Sure, you can have a pass to where the company owns tokens, but if you build it correctly, we're going to see, you know, instead of 80% of the value going to shareholders, 80% of value is going to go to um, token holders or to people who own infrastructure uh, bits, things like Filecoin and Ethereum, et cetera. Like these are the things which I think in the long term are going to have real value. Um, and it's just, a, it's just a paradigm shift, which people haven't really grokked yet. So they, yeah. they kind of go, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. And that's fine. And when you, yeah, and when you understand it, by the time you understand it, it's too late, but that's fine. That's how, and that's how the world evolves. Like mm-hmm. the dinosaurs got taken over by your know, medias and eventually humans. And like, you know, eventually you know, even humans will be extinct and there may be another species on the planet. Yeah, sure we think. <laughs> you know, we don't know. Like Elon may take us to Mars and we evolve further. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I just I don't I don't really believe that um, that we need it. I think the fixed mindset that things will always be as they've been is just broken. Like it's obviously not been. We've invalidated that hypothesis over and over. And so if you think things like social constructs, like shares and companies, and the way things are, like you think that's gonna be the way forever? Maybe, but or we're already that seeing, way for a couple hundred years, perhaps. We're already seeing yeah. the network economy take off, and we have network economies out there right now. And those who are in it understand and believe it. And those who are outside look at it and they don't, you know, it's like it's like people in 2000 looking at the dot-com collapse and go, oh, the internet's dead. It's No one's going to use us. Right. We're in the same phase of crypto right now. There's a lot of dis- disbelief. No, there is a lot of disbelief. And I think there's a lot of people who think that, you know, maybe the governments will come along and just sort of, you know, uh, regulate it out of existence or something like that. Um, but to your point about shares versus to- tokens or coins, I mean, is it simple as saying that the the unit of ownership ultimately will be coins or NFTs versus sort of our current version of how we fractionalize ownership? Is it simply just going to be a new way of owning a small piece of something? Um, yeah, I guess so. I, I think if you look at the if you look at the timeline right now, um, we're just very early. Yeah. So. And that's the whole point about if you fractionalize like a much larger, I mean, wouldn't you like to own 0.1% of, you know, Tesla or sure. Apple or whatever? Like, you know, so, so if you can create these multi-billion or maybe even trillion dollar marketplaces and you, everyone owns a small piece of it, everyone gets wealthy together. So you can create the wealth differently. Now, it doesn't have the traditional things like yield mechanics, but there are other things that, that give crypto value. Um, and you can get yields and there doesn't have to be dividends. Uh, we've proven that. So, my, you know, like the, the, the demand for humans to trade um, crypto has been proven out over a decade now that, you know, we'll trade it, you know, and we can build stuff around that. And you can build, like, it's no, it's in fact way better than what you see in Wall Street with like $300 you know, trillion worth of derivatives outstanding. Like, yeah. You know? So, we're, we're, and it may get to a point where crypto goes through like, you know, stumbles and things collapse and people lose money. And that's probably going to happen. Like well, it's that's already happened. A few, yeah. like, it's a boom. No, I, mean, I mean, at scale. I mean, yeah, at yeah, yeah, yeah. major scale. But it's happened. The financial markets have crashed the world multiple times. So, why should the crypto markets be any different? But they're still around. Right. But ultimately, how, how does society 
different in a web? I mean, it's a deep question, but like, are people wealthier? Is wealth more? Is income inequality solved? What problems? Ultimately, what big problems are going to be solved in a Web three world? I have an overarching thesis that the world is in, is is going through a massive expansion of, of wealth and capital right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. quantitative easing has actually helped expose how much money is in the world and how much value is in the world, and I think we're I think we're in a good spot. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm less worried about things going down the toilets. I do think that if, if, if the monetary expansion happens too fast, we're going to have major issues. But, but the crypto will probably be the biggest beneficiary because with crypto, you have a fixed supply. So even if things get crazy, you can't print more Bitcoins. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. And so everything else has to kind of gravitate towards that fact. And then, you know, Ethereum is moving towards more of a deflationary system. So, you know, these are the, the, the this is what's happening right now in the market. The time we have left, I, I just want to uh, maybe talk a, f- a little bit more about sort of the entrepreneurial mindset. And and you said something, or you made reference to something earlier, which was, uh, you know, not everyone needs to be an entrepreneur. Or, and I hear a lot of sort of business thinkers say, you know, for a lot of people, that good job is probably better for them. Um, so if you were to sort of create a self-assessment test, you know, for someone to decide if they if entrepreneurship is, is right for them. I mean, what would you think that the two or three checklist points on it would be? Uh, I would say the ability to withstand incredible amounts of pain. <laughs> you know, I'm not talking about physical pain, just emotional pain right. uh, and trauma and just live in a world of uncertainty for long periods of time. Yeah. I'd say yeah. the second thing would be being absolutely relentless and never giving up. So you you can you can withstand the pain and you just refuse to give up and never say die. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing actually is, I would say, you just need to have a lot of street smarts um, and and wit about you, and because like it carries you. And if you don't, if you're not street smart, you know you, you just don't have the. If you like, you know, I mean entrepreneurs who are just look. I'm talking about like high tech entrepreneurs, and, and you know every industry got different sort of archetypes that you can look at but in the high-tech world you want guys who just got you know they, they they know the details inside out of the industry they're in they know exactly how this works they may not know everything but they know how it works so just like really really have the smarts around what you're doing uh yeah. and be able to you know look around corners those are three things that come to mind there's probably a whole dozen i could probably stack right sure. are there any counterintuitive qualities i mean because i hear often people you know talk about a little humility never hurts <laughs> you know, but then it does that good for the, you know, that relentlessness that you need. I mean, can you think of any counterintuitive qualities that you've seen in entrepreneurs that you think you might not have thought that was a good quality to have in an entrepreneur, but it served them well? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, actually. Um, none of this stuff really counterintuitive. I, I've never really seen, I've seen stuff which makes sense when you, when you point it out. It's not, I wouldn't say it's counterintuitive. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So, um, so what's, uh, you know, weight room, you got weight room, but what, what do you think is uh, next for you? I mean, what do you, you seems like you're really, I, I kind of feel like you're looking for something to start in the web three world. Um, I mean, I've already, I've already started some stuff and I'm working on some projects and stuff. I mean, you know, weight room is my full-time job right now, focusing on that, but I'm definitely, um, you know, I've got, I've been, I've been sort of, Doing a whole bunch of things over the years. Um, I'm a you know I'm a GP here and a GP there, and I've got a you know co-founded some NFT stuff as well. Um, 
you know, I, I try to be helpful to my partners. I don't do all the work. Many of those things, I'm kind of just in the background or helping out. Or like I'm a chair, I'm a chair of Civic now. But um, you know, right now I focus on weight and making sure we we you know we, we figure out what the the natural sort of um, you know escape velocity trajectory looks like. All right. Well, really appreciate you. Uh, I think we're about out of time, so I appreciate you joining us. It's really been a pleasure. Uh, uh, I like the fact that you just say what you think, and that's always a good thing. <laughs> Not always, but yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right, appreciate your time. Thanks, Thank you. Good being on.